0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. I want to start off just by sharing a a story about two brothers. Uh, They weren't really the best people in the world. Uh, They'd done a lot of negative things in their lifetime. and uh, They get a little older, and the younger brother passes away. And the older brother has to start making funeral plans. And so, uh, the one thing he wants for his brother, he doesn't know how many people are even going to come to the funeral, but he wants, he wants the reverend or the minister to tell the crowd that he was a saint. And he's willing to do whatever it takes for, for that minister to say this man was a saint. And so he goes around and he starts find, looking for people and no one's willing to do it. And finally he, he, he gets to the point where he's going to start, Offering money for somebody to do it, and he finds one minister. He says, "I'll give you ten thousand dollars if you, at, in the in the funeral, say my brother was a saint." And he says, "You know what? You've got a deal." And it gets to the point of that. It gets to the point where they're at the funeral, and he starts talking, and he says, "This man." This is what he says. He says, "This man was a murderer. He was a thief. He was a robber. He was he was the worst of all. But compared to his brother, he was a saint." Maybe some of you who have siblings, you say, compared to my brother, I'm a saint. But I think the same thing is true when it comes to Christians. A lot of times we don't really have anything nice to say to the world of science. We don't really have much positivity, much, much kindness towards science. And we don't really want anything to do with science. You know, I think we have the fight or flight response, right? We either are willing to fight and say, you know, my no, this is it. This is God is it. Nothing nothing you say is going to change anything. Or we don't even want to talk about it, right? We have a fight or flight response when it comes to the topic of science. And so I'm excited to be up here today talking about this topic. The other challenging thing is how do I get people interested in a message about science? You know, that's there's, there's a, a lot of challenges up here. Um, I want to just start off by uh, a little bit deeper into the pool stuff, just by starting off with the definition of science. This is a definition that was created by a group of scientists, so um, there's not really any bias in here, and I think it's a pretty solid one. It says, science is the pursuit of knowledge and understanding of the natural and social world following a systematic methodology based on evidence. And I think that's a pretty solid definition of, of what pure science is. Um, but, uh, The way they come to a conclusion about something is they we use something called the scientific method. A lot of you probably have heard of it, studied it in high school. We're going to recap it, a little high school science lesson. The scientific method, now they've got six steps. I don't know how many steps there normally are. Number one, ask a question. Number two, perform research. Number three, establish a hypothesis. Number four, test your hypothesis by conducting an experiment. Number five, make an observation. And number six, analyze results and draw a conclusion. And I just want to talk about that sixth step real quick because I think that sixth step of draw a conclusion has a lot more to do with the way you view the world than the way you view the evidence. And I just want to give you an example of that. Uh, one time I went to a movie theater and uh, I went by myself, because that's what cool people do. And uh, <laughs> I'm sitting in the theater, and a girl ends up coming and sits next to me. I'm like, OK, there we go. And uh, halfway through the movie, uh, she puts her hand on my hand and puts her head on my shoulder. Aww. And I'm thinking, OK, so i got to start with the scientific method. We've got to ask a question. Is this girl trying to shoot her shot? Right? That's the question we have to ask. Is this girl trying to make a move on me? So I need to perform research. I need to start asking myself, what do people who are in relationships do? They do things like that, right? Uh, Establish a hypothesis. That's that's my hypothesis, that she's trying to make a move. And I need to test it. And so I'm looking around, and I'm seeing other couples who are holding hands and have their head on on their significant other's shoulders. And I'm thinking, okay, this is definitely it. And so I need to draw a conclusion. And my conclusion is based on the worldview that I am a top-tier catch, right? My (laughs) conclusion because I'm a top-tier catch, is that she is making a move. She wants Taylor. What really happened was she was tired and she fell asleep, right? <laughs> a lot of our conclusions have to do with the way we view the world, not the way we view the evidence. And uh, I want to just talk a little bit about that topic. And I believe that you know, the definition we looked at at science, science has to deal With the natural world, that's that's what science deals with. Is is the natural order of things. Um, You know, I believe that science it can tell us it can tell us a lot of things, right? It can tell us that we're emitting carbon monoxide into the world. It can tell us that a vaccine might prevent a virus. It can tell us that an animal can feel pain. But people have to determine if that's a good thing or not a good thing. And a lot of that comes from the conclusions based on the way we view the world. And I just want to speak for just a second into that, maybe, maybe, maybe getting triggering both sides of the people on this argument. Um, because I think a lot of times Christians can be really closed-minded when it comes to science. And sometimes people will, will, will push data and information and knowledge our way. And we're so closed-minded that we say, you know what? I don't really want to hear it. I, for example, and I promise you, this is not me making a political statement. For example, I had a friend who called me, and he, he's in the military, and he said, "Hey, Taylor, they're making me get It's a mandatory vaccine thing. Um, you know, I need to, I need, I need to have a religious objection to getting the vaccine. So, can you show me some scriptures that I could use to have a religious objection to this?" And I said. Do you believe that the Bible is against getting this COVID vaccine? And he said, 100% I do. And I asked him, I said, do you already have any scriptures that you've used to come to that conclusion? And he said, no, I don't have anything. That's why I'm coming to you. And I think a lot of times, we, we, we somebody will shoot us some evidence or some, some a question, and we come to our own pre-position on it. We have, a, we have a, our own mind made up. And we think that the Bible is going to back us up. But I would challenge you guys, and again, it's not me making a political statement. If if there's something that, that is really challenging you, I would challenge you to, to look in Scripture and see what the Bible has to say about it, because maybe you'll come to this conclusion, or maybe you'll come to that conclusion, uh, but make sure you do it because that's what Scripture says, and that's not because it's what we say. It's because it's what the Bible says. There's a time in the Bible where uh, Paul had a conversation with a group of guys, and it says that they studied night after night to see if everything he said was true, and I think that's so important, and I think... On the other side, it's also equally a challenge because sometimes there's evidence that might point us to something bigger out there in the world. But if if we have such a closed mind to say, no, nature is all there is, there's no way there's anything else, we're never going to come to a conclusion that there might be something bigger than ourselves. I would challenge us both to look at the evidence, but for Christians, I would challenge you to look at what Scripture says. Like I said, science deals with the natural world. There's things that science can't speak to. Um, There's a a famous philosopher named William Lane Craig that I really like to listen to. And uh, somebody, there was an atheist who had a conversation with him and he said, you know, I believe that science can account for everything in the world. And William Lane Craig disagreed with it. And this is what he said. He said, here are five rational things that science cannot prove that we are all happy to accept. Number one, logical and mathematical truths cannot be proven by science. This is deeper into the pool stuff. Logical and mathematical truths cannot be proven by science. They are presupposed by science, so trying to prove them would be arguing in a circle. Number two, metaphysical truths, like there are other minds other than my own, or that the external world is real, or that the past was not created five minutes ago with with an appearance of age. Number three, ethical beliefs about the statements of value— are not accessible by the scientific method. You can't show by science whether the Nazi scientists in the camp did anything evil as opposed to scientists of the Western democracies. Number four, aesthetic judgments cannot be accessed by the scientific method because things being beautiful or good cannot be scientifically proven. And number five, most remarkably, would be science itself. Science itself cannot be justified by the scientific method. Science is permeated with unprovable assumptions. For example, in the special theory of relativity, the whole theory is based on the assumption that the speed of, speed of light is constant in a one-way direction. None of these can be scientifically proven, but they're all accepted by everybody. I believe, like I said, science deals with the natural world, and there's things that science never speaks to. Another hu- maybe humorous story that I'd like to share to kind of clarify that point as a story of Sherlock Holmes and his partner Watson they were out camping one night and they had a little bit too much to drink and so they decided to go into their tent and go to bed early and uh, middle of the night uh, Holmes nudges Watson wakes him up and he says Watson what do you see and Watson says I see stars and stars and 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 it's beautiful and he says what does that tell you And he says, astrologically, that tells me that, you know, this constellation's here, this constellation's here, and it tells me that it's about 3.30 in the morning. You know, meteorologically, it shows me that tomorrow's going to be a nice, nice, fair-weather day. Theologically, it tells me that we're all, this is a big world, vast world, and we're all a small part of it. What does it tell you, Sherlock? And, And Holmes says, Watson, you idiot, someone stole our tent. Right? There's things that, there's so many things that science can tell us, but there's a lot of things science doesn't ever really talk about. But I believe that science has the power to show us the fingerprint of God, right? And, and so it's kind of like when you're a little kid, you go to safety traffic school, maybe that was just me, and the safety officer comes up and, and you get to do that little fingerprint thing. You, you put your finger in the ink and then you put it, maybe I was just a real troublemaker when I was four and they had it pre booked already or something, but. Um, <laughs> You put your finger on the thing, and then you get to see your, your fingerprint. It's not all just this black ink, but there's a little bit of design inside the ink. And I think the same thing is true with science and God. That Science and God are supposed to go hand in hand. Another story to kind of illustrate that is imagine if you were to go to a hotel with one of your best friends. And one even, that, that night, you're getting ready to go to bed, and you put two $50 bills inside the dresser. Right, and you close the dress, you go to bed, you wake up, your friend is gone, and the two fifty dollar bills have been replaced with one dollar bills. You would not wake up and say, Golly Shucks Gee Whiz, the the laws of science went crazy last night. You would wake up and say, Wow, the laws of Indiana were broken last night, right? Because somebody put their hand into the drawer and changed things. And the cool thing about science is it gets to show us a picture of what normally happens, what we can expect. But when something different happens, it gets to show us a little bit of the thumbprint, the fingerprint of who God is. We get to see God through it. There's a a really cool song. It's a newer song, a new Christian song um, called Too Good to Not Believe. And in the song, the the artist, he, he says, I've seen cancer disappear I've seen addictions broken. I've seen families reunited. I've seen prodigals return. Like those are just amazing examples of times where God, we get to see the fingerprint of God working in somebody's life because we know what normally happens. But because we know what normally happens, we can say, man, that is so cool that God is doing that in your life. I think, I think science deals with the natural world, and that's, that's why it does that, because it shows us the fingerprint of God. The next thing I would say is that science answers the how question and not the who question, right? Science can tell us, if we're looking at a Ford engine, how the engine functions, you know, what part does what and what its purpose is. But it can't tell us that a long time ago, Henry Ford had an idea to make a car. It talks about the machine. Science deals with the machine, but it doesn't deal with the mind behind the machine. I already said this, but I just want to rephrase it say it again. God created the natural order of the world. So studying it should never frighten us. It should excite us because through the world, we are going to experience God in ways we've never seen him before. And the Bible puts it this way. It says, what may, what may be known about God is plain to us because God has made it plain to us for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And what that's saying is is when we see scientific progress, when we see nature, when we see the sun, we shouldn't look at it and, and, and be frustrated. We should look at it and say that shows how powerful and how great and how glorious my, my heavenly father is. That's, that's a sign that he is here. He is with me. He cares about me. He's got a purpose for me. And he's ready to do something awesome today. The next point I want to make uh, is regardless of what anyone says, the Bible is scientifically accurate and, and, and it can be trusted. Jesus said this, and this is important. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And what that means is the Bible we read today is the same same scriptures that Jesus was reading. The same scriptures that were being written thousands of years ago. Because we have documents to prove it all throughout the time. God's word has never passed away. The things that the Bible has claimed a long time ago are are still what's being said today. And he's never had to change his mind. I want to just give a couple examples of times science has had to change its mind. But the Bible never has. The first one. Oh, sorry. Uh, like I said, God created the laws of the universe. He cre- he made everything. He, the Bible says it this way. He says, let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decrees will never be revoked. And I want to jump into a couple examples in history of times where the world and the church both had a belief, but God said something different, even when it was, even when nobody believed it. The first one is that the earth was flat. Back in the time of Isaiah, the world believed that. All all science pointed to that. Even Isaiah and the people in the church believed that the earth was flat. But, But God had something different to say. In the book of Isaiah, he says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And that word circle actually even better translates to the word sphere. Even when everybody thought that the world was flat, the Bible said something different. Even Kyrie still believes that, though. I mean, a few people still believe that. They're crazy. But the Bible says he, it's he who sits above the circle of the earth. The next one uh, was one of, the, one of the earliest beliefs we have. The two oldest books in the Bible we have are Genesis and Job. It's not in chronological order. But the belief at the time, at the very beginning by everybody, was that uh, the earth was being held up by three animals, a turtle who was... There was a, a lion or something on his back, and on top of that was a snake, and the snake was holding up the earth. And the other popular belief was that there were these five pillars holding up the earth. But the Bible says he stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. Even when nobody believed that, God said it, and it's still true today. The next one, uh, I believe this was probably by Galileo or somebody is more recent. Uh, historian is that the the stars in the sky could be counted uh, at first he came up with the number one thousand and twenty two there were one thousand and twenty two stars and a few years later a different um, a different philosopher came and, and said no you're you're wrong. the stars can be counted, but there's actually one thousand and twenty six you were four off really close though um, but God and scriptures makes it very clear that they wasted. A significant number of their hours, and because it says in Jeremiah that the stars of the sky cannot be counted, it's not possible. The next one is—I got two more. It's a—it's a United States history one. A little more—a little more closer today. Too much blood actually made you sick. That was—that was a real popular belief back in the early days of the United States, and so they would practice something called bloodletting, which is just um, re- just cutting you open and letting blood come out because you had too much blood in your system. And that is actually what caught, was the cause of death of George Washington after his third round of bloodletting. That would be awful. But the Bible says in Leviticus, for the life of the body is in the blood. And the last one, in, in the year 1861, uh, there, the French Academy of Science, uh, they, had this, they, they had built this library and they published a book titled The 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible is Wrong. And today, all 51 have been in incontrovertibilized. They're, they've all been proven wrong. That's not a real word. I don't even But they have all all 51 have been proven wrong. God has never changed his mind. The Bible has never had to change a single word. It's always been there and it always will be there. I want to kind of shift a little bit more uh, to talk about things um, the other, other examples in scripture that, that makes it so shows us that we can trust scripture uh, because science, like I said, it's got a place. It shows us who God is and it shows us how he normally operates and it should show us that he's glorious and powerful. Um, but there's things science can't do and it's, there's things science can't speak to. Science can't really speak to historical events, the accuracy of historical events uh, because uh, part of the scientific method is testing your experiment over and over and over throughout time, but you can't really test a historical event over time. Um, and so the Bible, it also has things to say about history, right? There's a, there's a, there's a um, famous philosopher today, his name's Gary Habermas, and he uh, became a Christian while he was in college, and he wanted to um, do his doctorate dissertation or his doctorate book the The book that would give him his degree on the subject of um, the historicity or the the historicity of God to prove that to prove that it's it's reasonable to historically prove that Jesus existed and that he rose from the dead, and he went to Michigan State, it's a secular college, and the people at Michigan State didn't really want him to use the Bible. They said you can't use scripture to prove scripture, and so. Uh, He agreed with the Michigan State professors that the only parts of Scripture that he would use would be the the things that have to deal with history, historical events, and things that both atheists and Christians would agree on. And so um, he created something that's really popular today known as the minimal facts argument. And it's only based in Scripture. And so there's just a few facts that, again, both Christians and atheists agree with these statements. Uh, to talk about history. And those, fat, those statements are, number one, Jesus existed. Number two, Jesus was put on a cross. Number three, Jesus was killed. Number four, um, Jesus's body was missing. Number five is that um, after his body was missing, the 12 disciples at least claimed that they saw his body. And then later on, uh, there were 500 people who at least believed that they saw Jesus. Whether they actually saw him or not is up for debate. But the 12 disciples and the 500 people at least believed that they saw Jesus risen from the dead. And so he starts making these arguments about, you know, what would people, what would be possible excuses to to make it so Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead? He didn't actually, people didn't actually see him. Like, what would be reasons that would disprove this historical event? And some people thought. You know, maybe these 500 people were having a hallucination, but no one has ever had... There's there's never been an example of something we call mass hallucination where 500 people have the exact same vision at the same time. It's never happened. Any, Any possible excuse to get rid of this evidence has never been able to get refuted. And so right now, the best logical explanation from this evidence is that Jesus rose from the dead... But it doesn't make sense scientifically unless God put His hand into the situation, into the drawer and changed everything. That's the only possible explanation. The other thing science can't really speak to are prophecies in Scripture. Uh, there's over a thousand prophecies in all of Scripture, but in the Old Testament, there's right around 300 that are made prophecies that are made about just Jesus alone and uh, um, There was a group of mathematicians who got together to try and just figure out what is the probability that if Jesus weren't the Savior, if he was, if he was just a regular guy and he just coincidentally did these prophecies, what are the odds that that actually could have happened? And so they just picked out eight prophecies, eight specific ones. For example, born of a virgin. It's really hard to control that. Um, it's really hard to control that you'd be put on a cross. Maybe you have some say in that. You'd have to be a really bad enough person to do that. But then that they stripped his clothes off of him and sold them. Like, you have no control over that. So they picked eight prophecies about Jesus in in Scripture. And they said that if only those eight happened, that it would be uh, equivalent to 10 to the 17th power or 10 with 17 zeros after it. And that is two, two kind of ways to describe how improbable that is. That would be equivalent to a tornado flying through a junkyard and completely building a NASA rocket ship that is fully functional. Or it would be equivalent to taking, filling up the state of Texas three inches high with quarters, putting an X on one, flying somebody into Texas, and having them guess which one had the X on it. It's impossible unless it was done on purpose. It's impossible unless it was done on purpose. And science can't really speak to those things, right? The Bible's got so much more than just science that it wants to tell us. The Bible is a book that has science in it, but it's not just a science book. It's a book of people who are philosophers, scientists, poets, historians, and everything in between who have so much to say about this is what God has done in my life. This is how Jesus changed my life. This is what God told me about who Jesus is going to be. This is what Jesus did. It's got so many things that back it up, and it's worth trusting. And so the question we have to all answer is, what is going to be the authority of my life? Is it the world, or is it the word? Because all throughout time, the world has changed its mind on what is good, what is not good, and it's going to continue to do that. Like I said already, Jesus said, my words will never pass away. What you read a 1,000 years ago, what you read 50 years ago, is the same thing you're going to read a 1,000 years from now if the world's still here it's never going to change and we have to decide what is going to be the authority of my life it's worth trusting and i just want to just to wrap things up if you want to scientifically test and see if god is worth pursuing i want to just challenge you to give him the rest of your year and say you know what i'm not going to miss a message i can't guarantee i'm going to come to church every week but i'm not going to miss a message I'm gonna. I'm gonna spend every morning, or every sometime every day. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna worship for even if it's just five minutes. I'm gonna. I'm gonna commit to seeing what God. If God is actually real, and if God is actually able to change my life, I'm gonna give Him the rest of this year. I'm gonna join a community group. I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tithe. I mean, it doesn't really make sense to tithe unless unless God's actually doing something. Like, how would giving 10% of your money bless you? But the Bible says it's going to happen. If you do it, I promise you, it will change everything. The proof comes in the transforming power of your life. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's so different. It, it, being a disciple, it doesn't just mean you go to church. There's a difference between being a churchgoer and a disciple. There's a difference. but if you if you give Christ the rest of this year, I promise you at the end of it, it he's going to heal your marriage. He's going to heal He's going to change your money. He's going to change your job. He's going to change your kids. He's going to change your life. He's going to change everything. There's a statistic out there that says, over 50% of marriages end in divorce. We all know that statistic. Here's another one for you. 99% of marriages that pray together every night will not end in divorce. You want to see if God works in your marriage? Pray together every night because he's going to change you. Because then you start to realize we're not, we shouldn't be fighting each other. We should be fighting the enemy, right? I'm not fighting my spouse. I'm fighting Satan. He'll heal your marriage. He'll change your money it won't make sense when you tithe and there's blessings that pour into your life whether it's financial or financial or spiritual or whatever in between it won't make sense he'll change your job maybe maybe he'll change your title but but maybe not he might just change the way you view your job to say man i'm i'm in a place where there's so many people who are hurting right now and i just i just need to be a light i've got a friend named Brad who owns a business and uh, he and I took this emotional IQ test to see how emotionally aware we are of other people, and we failed that test. Um So like, he's a job owner, which is really important. So when somebody's having a bad day, you know, his response prior to this, prior to kind of diving into scripture would have been, hey, stop having a bad day, get to work, you're not working. And now he's changed, like, literally the next day after taking this test, uh, there's four people who are having bad days. And he just said, hey, you know what? Why don't you just come into my office? We're going to get somebody to, to fill in for you. And, and we're going to figure this out together. And because he's been so personable, and because he started every single team meeting with, with a team huddle and a team prayer where they're praying for each other, then that's changed everything. He's like, prophets are better. Our, our morale is better. Everything is changed because we've given it to God. Now, that's the best part about working at a church is I've got other people who are followers of Jesus who've got my back, who change everything for me. It changes your job. It'll change your kids. It'll change your life. And I just want to share one more personal story. It's it's Mar- not personal. One more story. It's March Madness. Go Tar Heels! I got my blue on. Nobody else in this room probably cares about the Tar Heels, but uh, it's a story about a guy who won the nineteen eighty three March Madness tournament. Jimmy Valvano. Some of you guys might know him if you know a lot about basketball. Most of you guys don't know him. Jimmy V is his nickname, and he gave this speech shortly after winning the title. He said, he said, uh, my father was my my biggest inspiration, Rocco Valvano. And he said, when I first got hired at Bucknell, we were so bad, we went one, they went one in twenty-six. It was my first job. And uh, they they were trying to sell me on how how cool, how, how good this job was. And I told them, I said, You went one in twenty-six last year. How is it a good job? And they said, You're missing one detail. We got everybody back from that team. <laughs> oh, cool. Even the guy with no thumbs is back, you know? I mean, it was not a good job, but it was his first job. And he told his dad, he said, Dad, I'm going to win the, the, the finals as a head coach. And his dad said, I know you are, son. I've got well come up to my room. He brought him to his room. And he said, I've got my bags packed. My bags are packed, ready to go watch you win this game. And he, he did terrible his first season. He said his first game he lost by 72 points. And if you told him that he was going to win a national championship eight years later, he would have asked, in what sport? It was that bad. But he he left Bucknell. He got a better job at Iona, and they made it to the tournament. And he called his dad and he said, Dad, we're in the tournament. He said, I know you are, son. As soon as you get to that championship game, my bags are packed. I'm coming to watch you. I know you're going to get there. I know you're going to get there. And he didn't get there. And the next year, they made the tournament and they won the first round. But they didn't get there. They lost the next round. And then he got a job at North Carolina State, which is the... Place he won the title at. And they made the tournament. Dad, we're in the tournament. I know, my bags are packed. I'm going to be there. I believe in you, son. And then they finally won the national championship. And Jimmy said, Jimmy V said, Greater than any ring they could have given me, any trophy they could have given me, is this picture I've got with my dad. His bags were always packed. He always believed in me. He was always there for me, and he knew I was going to do it. And I want to challenge you guys and say, because community groups are starting this next week, you need people in your life who believe in you because when, you're, when, you're, when you fall down, you're not going to be able to get up by yourself. It's not possible. Uh, I uh, just personally, this last month has been a, a real challenge for me. And uh, one of my community group team members sent me this message. She said, hey, Taylor. It's Katie Trinkle, embarrassing her in public. Hey, Taylor, I'm praying for you. I'm praying your headaches go away. I'm praying the stress in your life goes away. If that's the issue, I'm praying that you are able to lay it all at God's feet and trust him to take it for you. The trick is to lay it and let him have it. Stop picking it back up. That is my struggle at times. Any, anywho, just letting you know that you have prayer warriors sending love and sending prayers for you. You need people who believe in you and are ready to step up because, because when you fail, when you fall, It's impossible to get back up unless you have that. I believe it, that if you you cling to God's word, if you cling to the truth, he'll give you the truth and it will set you free and it will change every aspect of your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for who you are. God, you set the world into motion. You created... Everything you created the way things normally are, the natural order of things, so that, so that we can get a better picture of who you are. When you show up, we get to thank you because you're working miracles every single day. And God, I just pray that we can cling to your word because your word is truth and, and your truth is going to change our life forever. And I pray that we're people who are focused on being in the word. We're people who are committed to doing what your word says because that's where the changing power comes from. I just pray that we can cling to that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.